We are, if you are newer here, we're in a series called His Story, where we have just simply been going through the Gospels, looking at the story of Jesus. His Story is a great book because it takes just the Gospels out of the Bible, and it puts it in storybook format in chapters, so you can just read it chronologically, what happened next and what happened next. And so if you, if you would like a copy, there are a few out there, you can pick one up and you can read through that way. And We've looked at the miracles of Jesus, we've looked at the teachings of Jesus, we've looked at just all the amazing things that happened in his life, because Jesus is really important to us. We spend a lot of time looking at him and studying him. He's the one we follow as Christians. We, we take his name. Like, believe me, we can't save anybody here. We can't transform you. We can't give you purpose and meaning in your life, but Jesus can do all of those things, so that's why we we embrace him and study him and follow him. And if you're even considering what that might be like for your life, I'm glad you're here. Just keep an open mind. You know, today is a big day, obviously, right? Easter. There are Christians all over the world doing what we're doing right now. There are Christians gathering in church buildings all over the world and in <laughs> rented movie theater spaces and other spaces. We get creative as Christians. There's people meeting in cinder block buildings down in South America and in Haiti and there's people in mud huts in Africa and people under tents in other places. There are people meeting in their living rooms in secret in China and other places because they could get arrested for gathering together in the name of Jesus and we're all gathering together because we believe that there's a man 2,000 years ago who died on a Friday and he came back to life on a Sunday and it changed everything about reality forever. So what I want to do Today is just, I want to talk about that, but I want to play catch up a little bit. I want to look at that last week of Jesus' life very quickly, just give you the bullet points so you can get caught up. It's a very long week where things went, started becoming very difficult and uphill for Jesus and his disciples. Or you might say things started going downhill. Started on Sunday. Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem, same city that we know today, on a borrowed colt. It was a, a young donkey that had never been ridden before. Jesus starts riding into Jerusalem, and thousands of people are crowding around. It's like a parade, and they're screaming Jesus' name. They're shouting, Hosanna to God in the highest. They're cutting palm branches off of trees and laying them down in the road in front of Jesus, laying their own coats down so that this colt rides across this. They're treating him like he's a king entering the city, which he was. Sunday afternoon, Jesus gets into Jerusalem, goes to the temple, looks around this place of worship and is deeply disturbed by what he saw. But it was too late in the day to do anything about what it was. He came back into Jerusalem Monday morning and cleaned house, literally. Because what he found in the temple was, this is a place of prayer. He even said, this is, this is my father's house. It's a place of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. There's like booths selling all kinds of stuff. People come from all over the world by the hundreds and the thousands and tens of thousands to worship at the temple. And this week, it's Passover week, so there's even hundreds of thousands of people. And they get there with their animal to sacrifice to God. They get there with their gifts of money to give. And they're told, oh, your gift is not acceptable. You have to buy one of our animals. And, of course, it was marked way up. And, oh, your money, you can't make an offering with your money. You need to exchange it for temple currency. And there was, again, a huge markup. It was just a huge ripoff. And so Jesus drove all of those animals out of the temple. He flipped over tables, and he told everybody who was selling stuff, get out of here. He was just, he got furious. Well, Tuesday morning, Jesus comes back into Jerusalem, and there's a little welcoming party waiting for him. It's the religious leaders of Israel. Like, these are the top echelon of leaders. They are not happy. They said to him as Jesus walked into Jerusalem, by what authority do you do these things? What they mean is, who do you think you are, buddy? You came into our house, our place, the temple, and you just start flipping things over? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to do this? They engage in this back-and-forth debate. The religious leaders don't get the answers from Jesus they want. See, here's the whole thing. Who do you think's getting the profit from all these merchants that are selling things in the temple? 
the religious leaders. You, you, so you got that whole thing, Jesus is bad for business, and some of the religious leaders, they liked being in charge, and they've got one eye on the Roman government because they were an occupied country at this time, so the Romans could come in and say, obviously you all can't handle business, so we'll come in and take over, and they'd kill people in the process. So, so the religious leaders are fearful of losing their power. They don't like losing their money, so they're very angry with Jesus. He's not going to cooperate. So by Wednesday, they are meeting together in secret to plan how they can kill him. And it's in this secret meeting that they get a, a special gift. As they're meeting and plotting, inspiring how to kill Jesus, one of Jesus' closest followers comes to them and asks for a meeting with them. One of the inner circle of 12 men that follow Jesus everywhere, Judas Iscariot said, how much will you give me to betray Jesus to you? I know where he's at all the time. I can take you to him. Because the religious leaders didn't want to arrest Jesus in public, the crowds would riot. They would be furious about Jesus being arrested and executed, so they wanted to do it in secret. Jesus said, I can help you. So they're like, amazing, this is a gift from God, gift from Satan. So you go to Thursday. Now Jesus rides in into Jerusalem again with his 12 disciples. They're going to celebrate Passover together Thursday night. During that meal, Judas slips out, goes and alerts the authorities. I know where he's going to be tonight. They send soldiers. They go to this Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus often liked to go to and pray. They arrested Jesus in the olive groves there. Judas betrayed Jesus how? With a kiss, friendship, and he betrayed him with that. And Jesus said, you're going to betray me with that? And the soldiers arrested Jesus, put him through a night of illegal, unjust trials, just broke every rule in the book to execute Jesus. The next morning they've decided, we've got enough evidence and false testimony to kill this guy. But frustratingly to them, they couldn't kill him because two years before, the Roman government had taken away capital punishment from the Jewish leaders so they had to turn Jesus over to the Romans, convince the Romans to execute Jesus, which they did. And Pilate condemned Jesus to death, the Roman governor Pilate. And so by 9 o'clock, give or take, on Friday morning, Jesus was taken out and he was crucified. By 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, Jesus was dead. By sundown that evening, he had been buried and I just want to go ahead and show you what that looks like from the Bible. So if you've got a Bible this morning, you can turn to Matthew 27. If you've got, uh, actually have your copy of his story, you can turn to page 254. You've got a smartphone app, you can pull up Matthew 27, 57. If you don't have any of those things, that's okay, it's up on the screen. So listen to this. As Friday evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate, the Roman governor, asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to Joseph. I'm going to stop here for a second. Think this through with me. Why would Pilate, the Roman governor, give the body of Jesus to a Jesus follower? Does that make sense? Pilate didn't see Joseph of Arimathea as a Jesus follower, something that we know from some of the other gospel writers. Joseph was also a member of that religious elite, the council called the Sanhedrin. Thing is, there wasn't unanimity among the Sanhedrin about executing Jesus. They didn't invite some of the people to the trials of Jesus. They, they didn't invite Joseph. They didn't invite Nicodemus. They didn't invite some of the people who would clearly not have ever gone along with this. So there were some of the religious elite who actually liked Jesus. Joseph was one of them. So Pilate looks at Joseph, and he doesn't see a Jesus follower. He just sees one of the Jewish leaders that voted to execute Jesus. He doesn't know that, Jew, that Joseph wasn't part of that. So Pilate just says, okay, you can take his body. All right, so Joseph took the body, and he, uh, he wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. And at this point, I need to point out that Nicodemus, another member from the Sanhedrin, was also there. Nicodemus had brought spices, burial spices. 
So uh, Joseph placed Jesus' body in his own new tomb, which had, never, which had been carved out of the rock. Nobody had ever used it before. It was Joseph's tomb. He then rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, their followers of Jesus also, were sitting across from the tomb and they were watching the whole thing. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried. Think about this with me. Jesus healed sick people. Jesus, he taught spiritually lost people. He, uh, he freed demonically oppressed people. He, he, he even resurrected dead people. And he forgave sinful people. And he loved broken people. And yet, what did they do to him? The nicest, most innocent person who ever lived, they treated him like a terrorist. They executed him like a common criminal. And they tossed his body aside. And they, they thought they were done with him. Jesus is buried. I think it's safe to say no one ever expected to see Jesus ever again. The religious elite think we finally got done with our problem. He's gone. He's out of our hair now. We can go on business as usual. Jesus' disciples were distraught, distressed, discouraged. How many D's can I go here? <laughs> but you get the idea. They're, they're not looking for Jesus to show up ever again. They're, they're convinced the best thing that ever happened in their life is gone and is never going to show up again. That's just how life works from everybody's view. Ken, Ken Davis, he's a comedian. He talks about uh, a woman who was in her house doing her dishes and she was looking out her window when she freaked out. She saw her German shepherd in the neighbor's yard with the neighbor's rabbit in his mouth going like this. She's freaking out, not only because her dog is obviously killing the neighbor's rabbit, but they didn't really get along well with the neighbors anyway. So she runs out the door. She grabs the broom on her way. She's hitting her dog, and she's yelling, drop it, drop it, drop it. Finally, her German shepherd drops the now very dead rabbit on the ground, and she's like, oh, what do I do? And she looked in the house. The neighbor hasn't seen any of this. So she said to her dog, get home now. She picked up the dead rabbit, and it was nasty. She, she freaked. She didn't know else. So she took the rabbit back to her house inside. She had her dishwater there, so she plunged the rabbit into the dishwater. Oh, now he, well, at least he's clean. I got the mud and the blood off of him, but what do I do? I can't just take him back over there like this. So she got the blow dryer and blow dried the fur. And then she got the brush. And All right, still obviously dead, but it looks better than it did. She snuck back over to the neighbor's yard, lifted the hutch lid, the rabbit you know, cage, put the dead rabbit in there, propped it up, closed it, went back home. About an hour later, she hears screaming from the neighbor's yard. She goes nonchalantly outside, and she's like, what's going on? I heard some yelling. And her neighbor said, oh, my gosh, you'll never believe this. Our rabbit died a week ago when we buried it, and some sicko dug it back up and put it in the cage again. <laughs> right? You might be tempted to think people 2,000 years ago were unsophisticated, unintelligent. They don't know how life works. So, but listen, people 2,000 years ago were not dumb. They're just as smart as we were. They know dead rabbits don't come back to life. They also know dead rabbis don't come back to life. They know when Jesus died, he really died, and you just don't come back from something like that. N.T. Wright, he's a Bible scholar. He once wrote this. There were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome just as Jesus did. In not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. Look, everybody knew Jesus was dead, he was buried, end of story. That was not disputed. No one ever expected to see him alive again. That's not to say there wasn't some fear and concern and some trepidation, especially among the religious elite, because the people who were enemies of Jesus remembered some of the things that he had taught his followers. They remembered... 
they remember some things that Jesus taught that kind of gave them an inkling that, that there might be some kind of a plot afoot among Jesus' followers to create this story that Jesus raised from the dead. I, I give you an example of here. If you go on to Matthew 27, verse 62, you can kind of see their line of thinking. So the next day on the Sabbath, that would be Saturday. Jesus died on Friday. So now we're on Saturday. The leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said when he was still alive. He said, After three days, I'll rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. You know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Until the third day. This will prevent the disciples from coming, stealing his body, telling everybody he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate said, fine, take guards, secure it the best you know how. So they sealed the tomb, posted guards to protect it. Now, I got to give it to them. Those evil men who killed Jesus were right about one thing. Jesus did say repeatedly that he would rise from the dead on the third day. I'll give you one example. Matthew 16, 21, Jesus pulled his disciples aside. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but then on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And he said this enough that the religious leaders knew that Jesus was teaching this. These are the words that the Jewish leaders were concerned about that Saturday afternoon when they went to see Pilate. We're thinking that the disciples are going to steal the body, hide it, and claim that Jesus rose from the dead, and this this mess will continue, so we got to do something. Isn't it ironic that the religious elite who hated Jesus understood Jesus' words better than his own disciples? Were his disciples scheming to steal Jesus' body? Were his disciples scheming to somehow watch when he rose from the dead? No, none of them, not a single follower of Jesus was thinking about Jesus raising from the dead, despite the fact that he said it to them over and over and over. They didn't get it until later. I find it ironic that the people who hated Jesus understood Jesus, but they were pretty good at interpreting words. They were good at studying. They were smart. They were just pretty poor at trust and faith and, like, following God. So the religious leaders have this in mind, and they, they understand that they thought they'd put a stop to Jesus. The shame of all of this is these are the people who are supposed to be closest to God, and one of the greatest things that would ever happen in human history, if not the greatest thing that will ever happen in human history, happened the next day, and they missed out on it completely. What everybody believed to be impossible actually happened. Go ahead and go back to Matthew, if you would. Matthew 28, 1. Third day, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, remember they were watching Friday night as Jesus was buried, they went back out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning. His clothes was, were as white as snow. The guards, those Roman soldiers, shook with fear when they saw him. They fell in a dead faint. So much for tough Roman soldiers. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come on, see where his body was lying. So it's like the angel sitting on the stone is, is like gesturing into the tomb. Go ahead, see if I'm telling the truth. Go on, stick your head in there. Is he in there? No, see, I told you he's not in there. Now go quickly, tell Jesus' disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I told you. And then the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. 
And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Look, these people saw Jesus die. They loved Jesus, but they never expected to see him ever again. But the last person they expected to see is the person that they saw, alive and well. You know what that says to me? Resurrection is now a thing. Resurrection is a reality in our world now. Now, even as I say that, I understand there are a lot of people who uh, I've talked to and I've read the thoughts and the blogs and the books and the newspaper articles and the magazine articles of a lot of people who would say, Brian, you're not correct about that. You are wrong about that. I mean, it's really nice if you want to believe that, if that inspires you, great, but it didn't happen. Resurrection is not a reality. Everybody knows that dead people don't come back to life. Everybody knows men don't have babies, the Cubs don't win the World Series, and dead people don't come back to life. It's just something that doesn't happen. I'm sorry, Cubs fans, I couldn't help it. (laughs) Spring training's on. So, I don't know, maybe you think that way or you have thought that way. And I'm not judging you, I'm not condemning you. It's okay to have some doubts, like, did this really happen or is this once upon a time? doubts are good if they propel you to study and investigate and think things through. So this is a place where doubts are safe. You can have them. But I want you to think about this. Just understand that just as there are a lot of intelligent people who have come to the conclusion that this didn't happen, there are a lot of intelligent, reasonable, thinking people who have come to the conclusion this did happen. There really was a guy who was dead on Friday and came back to life again on Sunday. And they put their whole belief and trust and faith in that. I'm not trying to say that I'm smarter than anybody who doesn't believe that. I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I have come to the conclusion, though, that this is real. And at the same time I say that, I get it. I have never seen a dead person walk out of a funeral home. I've never seen it myself. So I understand where somebody might be thinking, I don't know. But I would like you to think about this. And if you've got some doubts or if you're like, I don't even believe this, I would like you to, to challenge that line of thinking that says resurrection is impossible. Let's just be clear. Can you say with 100% certainty that no one can ever rise from the dead, ever? That it will never, ever happen in the future? You might say, well, come on. Every person who has ever lived and died has stayed dead. Have they? I just read two women who would beg to differ with that. They would go into a court of law and say, look, I know it sounds implausible. I know it sounds impossible. But I saw him die on Friday, and I saw him alive again on Sunday. There's at least two people. And as we go through the gospel account, you're going to find that there are actually hundreds and hundreds of people who said, I knew he was dead on Friday, and yet I saw him later alive again. Hundreds of people who would testify and put their life on the line and give up their life to say, I think resurrection now happens in this world. People who are dead can come back to life. And uh, I want to point this out. I, I know that I'm not really giving you, like, rock-solid evidence. I may not be answering all your objections. I would just simply like to invite you to think about it. What if it is true? If you doubt it or don't believe it, let me ask you this. Do you want it to be true? Is there something in you that says that would be really nice if it was? Or is there something in you that doesn't want it to be real because of all the implications if this is true? then. But, But what if it is true? What if dead people actually at some point in history really will come back to life?
what would what would that feel like, do you think, to see somebody that you never expected to see again alive again? I think it might have felt a little bit like what Nick Hayworth felt last week. Nick was uh, reunited with someone he never expected to see again. So this story starts back in February. February 10th, Nick was out fishing in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of San Diego with his dog, Luna. She's a beautiful dog. I think we got a picture of her. There's Luna. She's a German Shepherd Husky mix. Beautiful blue eyes. Sweet little dog, year and a half old. She was just a cutie. She's in the boat fishing with Nick, and they're pulling in, I think it was crab traps or lobster traps. One minute she's in the boat, next minute she's gone. They're like, where's Luna? She's not in the boat anymore. They're freaking out. They're calling for her. They're looking. It was dark. Luna, you can see, she's dark. So they're calling, looking everywhere. They could not find her. Nick spent two days around just looking. His only hope was San Clemente Island was two miles away from where he was fishing. He thought, maybe. She's, maybe she's a strong enough swimmer. She is a good, strong dog. Maybe she swam to the island. San Clemente Island, the Navy has a training base there. They train Navy SEALs there. They do the SEER training there for Marines and Navy SEALs. So he's just, he let the authorities know there, kind of, will you watch out for my dog? Finally, he had to go home after two days. And he just was convinced, I will never see my dog. Fast forward to last week. Workers on San Clemente Island, part of the military base there, were driving along when they saw a little dog, skinny as a rail, sitting on the side of the road. They stopped and called to the dog. The dog immediately started wagging her tail, came right over to him. They gathered her up. It was Luna. And they called Nick. And last week, Nick was reunited with Luna after a month and a half. Never thought he'd see her again. And there she was. It was a beautiful thing. I think that that must have been how Mary and how Peter and John and the 12 or the 11, uh, hundreds of people must have felt when they saw Jesus again. Like, this is impossible. This doesn't happen. Except, I guess I've got to change my view of reality because now apparently it does happen. People who are dead actually maybe do come back to life. This is not once upon a time, folks. This actually happened 2,000 years ago. And I believe that there are some implications that flow out of that that we ought to be thinking about. For one thing, if Jesus really did come back to life 2,000 years ago today, it means that Jesus was telling the truth when he talked about life after death. You know Jesus talked a lot about what would happen after you die? If he really did raise from the dead, it validates everything. It's like, okay, he actually knows what he's talking about. Let me just give you one example. One of the most famous miracles that Jesus did was just weeks before he died. It was when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus got word that his friend Lazarus was sick. Lazarus eventually died. By the time Jesus got to his house, Lazarus had been dead and buried four days. So this is a hugely famous miracle for a couple of reasons. Number one, what do you think a body has done four days in that climate and temperature in Israel? Nothing good. So he's dead. You're really dead when you've been dead and buried four days. Number two, it wasn't in the middle of nowhere. Lazarus lived with his sister Mary and his other sister Martha in the suburbs of Jerusalem. So there's like hundreds of thousands of people within easy walking distance of their house. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's a huge miracle because this guy is clearly dead. Now he's alive. And there's all these people who want to go make a, a trip to Lazarus' house to see the guy who was dead and he's alive again. So it actually says in the Bible when the Jewish leaders were making plans to kill Jesus, they also made plans to kill Lazarus because so many people were putting their faith in Jesus because they went and saw the dead guy who was alive again and they trusted Jesus. So, 
But when Jesus showed up that day before Lazarus had been raised, Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, met him on the road. And Jesus had this interesting conversation with her. And he, he said this, John eleven twenty five, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus wasn't talking again about once upon a time. He wasn't saying, okay, as long as we remember Lazarus and keep him in our hearts and keep his memory alive, he will be alive. As long as we don't forget. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus literally meant, if you live in me and believe in me, you will be again alive in a physical body here on this earth. And on the last day, every single human being who has ever lived will be alive in a physical body to stand before God. It's going to happen. That's an implication of Jesus rising from the dead because he rose, everybody else will rise. Revelation, Revelation 1.18 says this, and this is Jesus talking. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. I unlocked it. That's what I did. Jesus is telling the truth because he raised from the dead. Here's another implication of this. If Jesus really did rise, we got a story that we need to be telling. Did you notice, what did the angel tell the two women at the tomb that morning? It was, first of all, go look and see he's not here. Then what did he tell them to do? Yeah, you got to go tell the other disciples because as far as they know, Jesus is dead and gone and forever. You need to go tell them the good news. What did Jesus tell the women when they found him? Go tell my disciples. Two times they're told, you need to go tell the story that I'm alive, that Jesus is alive. We've got a story to tell. Our purpose here at Connection Christian Church, we say it this way, we're here to help people get connected to God and get connected to each other through Jesus. And this is what it is. We've got to tell people the story of Jesus that he wasn't just a good guy who taught some really nice things and that we really appreciate his example. No, he's the guy who conquered death and who has given us a promise of a hugely better future than we could ever have imagined for ourselves. You've got to tell that story. I want you to know this. No matter what you are going through today, the guy who is able to conquer death has a solution for that. I mean, if you can conquer death, you can conquer anything. You, you know, you may think your finances are dead and buried, but God can fix that. You may think your marriage is past resurrection. God can fix that. You may think that your health is beyond. Look, there will come a day when everyone will stand before God alive. What God did for Jesus and through Jesus, he can do for all of you. There's a great verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 6.10 promises this. By his power, God has raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us from the dead. That's why I've decided. That's why so many of you Connection Christians have decided. That's why so many billions of people all through history have decided to trust this guy. He's the one who can take care of guilt, shame, fear. He's got your future in his hands. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to invite you to trust him. Will you do that? Will you ask Jesus for his help? Let me pray for you. Father, on this day, I want to thank you that Jesus is alive, even now, right now, at your right hand. And I thank you that he is coming back. But in the meantime, please, Father, fill us with strength and encouragement and hope that comes from Jesus rising from the dead. Help us to see this as a, a reality. Help us to think about it in future terms that this is going to happen for us. I just pray that you would make some things very real to us and to our hearts, that we would understand the love that you have for us that we would understand that you are for us, not against us, 
that you would help us to know what it is you want us to do next with our lives and that we would just obey that and submit to you and ask for your help. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.